0: Mark chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 30 through 37 this morning. On July 2nd, 2018 in Thailand, uh, a soccer team, 12 boys, ages 11 to 16, and one coach had a a fun field trip, and they were biking, they were exploring, and, and they went into this cave to explore. This is an excursion that this coach would often take his teams on. And as they were deep into the cave, exploring an unexpected torrential rainstorm came in and the the cave began to flood and the boys began trapped and they had to push themselves deeper and deeper into the cave so they didn't drown and they went deeper and deeper so deep they ended up about two miles into this mountain complete darkness no food no help nothing but themselves they were they were helpless and hopeless and they were dying days passed they were feared to be dead and unknown to them there was rescue teams assembling divers who went down to search and find them 10 days later they find the boys starving oxygen depleted cold razors edge of of survival and death and then the real challenge began they discovered the boys but these were professional divers lifetime experience navy seals And they were barely able to make it to these boys. One Thai Navy SEAL actually died in this process. And the obstacle now was, how do we get these boys out of this? So over 24 divers, thousands of volunteers, over two hours per kid, multi-nation effort, they, they accomplished over another 12 days getting every one of those boys out along with that coach. It, it's an unbelievable story. There's an amazing documentary called The Rescue um, that I encourage you to watch. But these, these men, these divers, literally went to some of the, the lowest parts, most dangerous parts of the earth to risk their own lives to lift up these helpless, weak boys. And we would say they did a, a great thing. This was, this was great. Um and why, why are we amazed at this kind of heroism? I mean, why, is it, why, is it, why would we say this was amazing and great? Why would we make documentaries about this? Why would this move us? Well, I think mapped onto our hearts is a sense that this is right and good. Someone laying down their life to serve the needy is because we have this imprint of the uh, mago dei. The imago dei is this, the image of God is in, upon us. And we, we know that these boys were worth it. This life was worth it. And something about a humble sacrifice moving towards the needy to lift them up is beautiful. And those stories move us. And yet, though this is imprinted on our hearts, it isn't what gushes out of our hearts naturally all the time, always. We are often complicated with with self-preservation, with self-glory, self-seeking, and we add to that the confusion of what the world tells us is greatness. But today, today we, get to, we get to sit down in a living room with Jesus, along with his disciples, and he gets to teach us about what true greatness is. And he gets to answer that question for us. So let us read this morning, and then we're going to pray. Beginning at verse 30. And they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. Join me as we pray. Lord, we, we are grateful today that we get to, to be taught by you. Uh, we, we aren't left searching and clamoring to try to understand reasons for this life, what what it means to follow you, um, what it means to love and serve others. You give us your example and you teach us what that means. And so this morning as we open up your word and we we do in a sense sit down in the living room with you and you teach us, your disciples, Lord, would you incline our heart to hear you? Would you incline our heart to to be taught by you and, and be changed by you this morning? We ask this for, for our good, Lord, for the good of those around us and Lord, for your glory, through your church. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've been communicating this, there's a shift here in Mark. Jesus has been revealing His identity as the, the sovereign Son of God, and now he's focusing us in on His mission. And in this section, we've been seeing these predictions. Of his suffering, death, and his rising. There's three of them. This is our second one that we encounter. And Jesus is on his way towards Jerusalem now to accomplish his mission. And we see this back and forth that happens when he communicates a prediction and then there's this, this response by the disciples, usually instigated by their slowness or their confusion or their thick headedness. And Jesus brings a teaching on discipleship. And so here, Jesus is on his path, and he's going to teach us the way of true greatness, which looks very different than what the disciples' expectations are. And so this morning, we're going to see that true greatness is following the way of Jesus as humble servants, and we're going to see that in two parts, the servant's purpose and the servant's posture. So Jesus and his disciples, they depart an area, and we were looking at last week, just to kind of set us up for where we were. They were, we saw the transfiguration, Jesus comes down with some of the disciples, they come down, they encounter the demon-possessed boy, and the man's son is delivered by Jesus. The disciples couldn't do it, so he had a little one-on-one with them, why they couldn't cast out the demon, and they had to recognize their inadequacy, that Jesus' power was what they needed, and they needed to come to him in prayer and recognize their dependence on him. So now they're off traveling again, and they head through this area of Galilee, and uh, it says that Jesus takes this kind of interesting detour because he doesn't want to encounter the crowds. He's he's on his way to Jerusalem, and, and he cannot be hindered by wrong expectations of his mission as Messiah. He didn't want to get caught up in their misunderstandings as Christ, and so he takes a bit of a detour and he's teaching his disciples, and he says this, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So we see this threefold repetition. Jesus talking about suffering, and then his dying or killing, and then a rising. But notice in this one, he says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Might kind of capture a little bit of a rhythm there. Actually, apparently in the Aramaic, it's very clear, this play on words. The Son of Man will be handed over into the hands of man. In chapter 8, his first prediction, he says he's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And here, Jesus is saying, who's, who's the, cul- the culprit of this is? It is man. It is, it is humanity. Humanity is going to be the one that is going to drive this killing of Jesus. This handing over, this turning over or delivering and we've seen this already and we drew attention to earlier when we were talking about John in chapter 1 verse 14. John was handed over and arrested and then Judas in chapter 3 three, verse 19 Judas was the disciple who we get a little note was betrayed or handed over Jesus and then later in chapter 15 we're going to see that that Pilate, after Jesus was arrested, he was, Jesus was scourged and he was handed him over to be crucified, using those same words. Now, as I was, if I was hearing this as a disciple, I would be thinking, there, there is a lot of power in man's hands in this situation. I mean, considering the, maybe the, the fear that this would induce all this handing over, all of this arresting, all the power uh, and delivering in the hands of men. But I think what Jesus is doing in this repetition is he's, he's telling his disciples, preparing them that Jesus is going to suffer and that they are going to suffer. It's going to be devastating, but these predictions are helping them to see that God is behind all of this. His prophetic preparations and all the fallout that's going to happen is not a result ultimately of human hands. The power of men are not the ones pulling the levers, making this all happen. His gospel mission is moving ahead because God is behind all of that. The Lord's sovereign hand is moving this story forward. David Garland puts it this way. But there is another hand behind all this handing over. It is the hand of God, whose purposes are being fulfilled unbeknownst to any of the actors in the drama. If we don't believe that the hand of God and his purposes are always unfolding in our stories, but we believe and we are are stuck in the thought that everything in our life is left to just the dictates of men... We would only be left to fear and worry and anxiety. This could possibly add to why the disciples respond the way they do. It says that they were afraid to ask any questions. One, one commentator interprets to mean this. They understand enough to be afraid to ask to understand more. We get a sense, man, there's fearful things that can happen to us. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And there's enough in this world to induce anxiety in our hearts. But Christian saints, if if we are left wondering each day and each minute, each time we wake up, that what's coming at us is random acts of men and that they have ultimate power, that man is ruling the trajectory or the outcome of this world, that is destabilizing and that is hopeless. But there is a powerful hand at work. Proverbs tells us that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. The Psalms calls us to sing this song. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. The most powerful eyes, uh, powerful men in the eyes of our hearts or in these disciples' hearts in the world can be moved by the hand of God as he wills. We need to remember there is no just chance or just fate for the Christian, and that should bring us peace, saints. That should bring us peace. The Lord is moving his purposes forward no matter what opposition comes. And so Jesus is trying to help his disciples, and yet in contrast, a little argument kicks up among the disciples. It's, a, it's in clear juxtaposition to Jesus' statement. What, what is a juxtaposition? Well, I've got a little definition for us here. The act or the instance of placing two or more things side by side, often to compare or contrast or to create an interesting effect. Well, Mark gives us an interesting effect here in this moment with our disciples. The disciples just seem to naturally create interesting effects for us. It's wonderful. I painted vocationally for a little while, and I will likely not ever not paint, based on always the projects around me in my house. But that means we have to. I have to choose paint colors, and if you've done that, it's a, a requirement for that is to have good. White lighting, like you've probably gone to Sherwin Williams, or if you've gone to Home Depot and you've got those huge displays, and they have the the really bright white lights, so that you can see clearly and accurately the colors. So within all the colors, you can really see the shades pop. So if you're looking for that white, there are ten whites, and you didn't believe, you couldn't believe how different those whites could actually be. And so here we are. Jesus is getting his disciples into his light once again the right light and the differences are popping regarding what they think greatness is so this is where Jesus begins to show us the servant's posture I did a google I just said you know what I'm just going to google what is greatness and uh, I hit 1.2 billion results and I read every one of them (laughs) it was a sleepless week not really I didn't I read a few of them, though, and there are all kinds of of answers to that question, like the ability to to get a strategic vision, to be an innovator, to be a pioneer, to make an impact on an industry or society, being superior than everyone else, um, or that you have greatness within you, and you determine and define greatness, whatever greatness means for you. Well, thankfully, we are not left to Google to sort this out. We, we get Jesus. And so even though Jesus is repeating again and again, clarifying his mission, this remember this ideal idea of what the Messiah, the Christ would be, this royal earthly kingdom, this political liberator from Rome, um, in their minds, Jesus is having to, to break through this. Because in their minds, with that comes all this status, comes with that power and honor and prestige and you imagine if you were one of the 12 with jesus and that's what's ahead of you you were going to be somebody you're going to be something and with all the excitement the disciples are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest now you just got to see the irony of this we we should just laugh remember what just happened we talked about last week These these great and mighty disciples forgot to pray. They couldn't cast out a demon because they forgot to pray. And their weakness and powerlessness was quickly forgotten because now they're arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. And so Jesus asks them, what are you guys arguing about when we were on our way? And of course, he knew what they were arguing about. And they were so embarrassed by the question that they, no one even said anything. They couldn't even respond to Jesus. So he sits them down, and as this picture of what a rabbi would do with his students, he sat them down, this place of authority, this posture of authority, gathered them around to listen to his teaching. And the great teacher teaches the disciples what true greatness is. And this is what he says. He said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So they're arguing with themselves, what is greatness? And Jesus says, you want to be great, you want to be first, this is a requirement. Note that word must. He must, you must, place yourself last. The posture and the position must be servant of all. Another you know, one of those paradoxical statements, the upside down of the kingdom of God. To, to be low is to be high, to, to die is to gain. What we saw earlier in our, <clears throat> in our chapters recently, to, to truly live is to lose your life. And here, to serve, to be servant of all, is to be great. This word servants here is where we, we get the word deacons, actually. It's to be a, a servant, a, a, an attendant. It's used for those who would wait tables. Jesus is saying, Your job is not head of the table on a throne being waited upon, but you're the one with the apron seeking to serve, waiting tables, seeking to bless and serve others. What a contrast! What a contrast. This is a must for my disciples, Jesus is saying. There, there is no disciple where, this, where you are exempt from this requirement. No superstars who don't get their hands dirty. No privileged non-servants in Jesus' kingdom. And he, and he drills it down more deeply by illustrating this. So he, He's you know imagine a community group and all the kids are running around everywhere and they're sitting in the house and Jesus just grabs one of the kids and pulls them in to himself and embraces them and says look at this child look at this child now we got to take note of this cuz Jesus is doing something pretty radical in this moment in the Greco-Roman world the compared to our modern time children were not idolized like we can in our time they were lowly they were vulnerable they had little rights they were dependent and needy and and jesus says as he's holding this sort of lowly you know insignificant child whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me now Jesus will shortly te- teach us that entering into the, we have to enter into the kingdom as a child. But here Jesus is saying who we are to serve. He's drawing attention to the disciples who we are to receive and to serve are those children, those little ones with little status or little power, the lowly ones, the ones that are easy to overlook, the ones we want to avoid. In greatness, Jesus is saying, to be great is to be last of all and servant of all and specifically ready to serve and welcome these types. In Matthew's account, Matthew 25, Jesus says you are to serve the least among you and he draws attention to the hungry, the thirsty, the impoverished, the sick, the imprisoned. And when you serve them like you serve these children, for my sake, you are serving me. And to serve me, you are serving the one who sent me. You are serving God the Father. This is radical to hear for them. And this should be a challenge for us, even though we sort of know these things. Because as we said at the beginning, we have a tendency to avoid this rather than move towards it. Why do we struggle being last? Why, why do we struggle being servant of all? We struggle serving the least among us and put, putting ourselves in this place because we are, we are prone to placing ourselves up here and everyone else down here. And it's because of, of pride in our heart. We compare ourselves with ourselves, and we need to be seen in relationship to God Himself to get an accurate picture david powlison he's a counselor and teacher author he he offers a wonderful visual of this category and he gives an illustration of of the differences that we have with one another that are are good and there are distinctions just because we're different people versus the pride that we end up in our hearts that damages our life and others and so if you can imagine for a moment just a just a spectrum a horizontal spectrum and we are all different people and we are on different places on this spectrum different temperaments we have some have organizational skills and some do not some of us are short some of us are tall some of us are extroverted some of us are introverted some of us love the meet and greet time some of us want to crawl under our under our seats some of us are creative some of us are not athletic or not rich or poor we can keep going on and and these differences are 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 just places we find ourselves in this world and much of them are just designed by god where we are and yet the world and we we want to take this spectrum and we want to we want to turn it up like a ladder and we place this up like a ladder against the wall and we rather than just being differences that are assigned to us or that God that life brings us we we want to compete now with each other on those differences we want to compare ourselves we want to measure ourselves our greatness our worth out of our pride and our idolatry we 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 erect these ladders and David Pallison would say these these are actually ladders to nowhere we set up these ladders they're, they're like 12 foot ladders on a 200 foot wall they, they're they're going nowhere. And yet we try to climb them and we get happy that we're up one rung above somebody else and somebody else is down below us in our accolades and and they're not as good as us and we are greater and we're more gifted and we're better and we, we try to move up all these different ladders of achievement and success and possessions and power and appearances and yet they go nowhere. They go nowhere. They leave us empty and they leave others wounded And we oftentimes find ourselves despairing because we're not moving up or we find ourselves proud because we think we're a spot above. And Jesus comes in. Jesus comes in and he exposes those things in his kindness to us. He shows us our proud hearts and it's really us just scratching for human greatness. And when we see ourselves in light of his glory and his grace, it, it knocks all those things down. He shows us himself He shows us his glory. And so for us to understand humility and true greatness, we must see ourselves in the the most important juxtaposition to be grasped. Who he is as creator and God and his glory and holiness and who we are as those needy people in need of salvation. That's where humility begins. C.S. Lewis put it this way, in God you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. He is immeasurably superior to us. And we see ourselves accurately when we look at him. And here the disciples are before the Savior, the Son of God. And here Jesus, as God and as man, saying, look at me, look what I am doing in my mission to suffer, to die, and to rise. And he is laying, him, putting himself in the ultimate posture of a humble servant and the way he would sacrificially lay his life down for the least. The disciples were overlooking the very different definition of greatness that was right before them, and they had to be humbled. And we have to be continually and ongoingly humbled. Jesus doesn't ask his disciples to do anything that he is not himself doing. John 13, 16, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, his servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What was he sent to do? What was he doing? Jesus told them what he was going to do as the ultimate servant in this teaching of greatness. Well, this is how Philippians captures what Jesus would do. Our great servant. Saints, Jesus took on the form of a man. He laid down his prestige and his honor as the Son of God and became a servant of all, and he made himself last to serve the lowly, like you and I. And in him doing that, his prophesying, he then would move to permit himself to be taken into the hands of evil men, To go to the cross, to be killed, so that we could be welcomed into his hands, into his embrace. Like those little children, God welcomes us. So, though there is a ladder, really, there is only one ladder. There's a ladder that exists, and at the bottom of that ladder is lost sinners who are incapable of saving themselves. Those children in that cave. Helpless, unable to do anything to rescue themselves. Unreachable to God's glory and his holiness. And there is one person, there is one person who came down that ladder. Who came down that ladder, as Philippians 2 tells us, he, Jesus, came down. See, other religions teach us that you have to climb up a ladder in order to get... To God, ascend something in order to get to God in your good works and your righteousness, but you can't. No one can. No one can ascend that. But the gospel tells us that we are all in this level playing field, image bearers of God, fallen from grace, stained by sin, who need rescuing. And the greatest act, greatest, great, true, act of true greatness was Jesus coming to display that, dying at the hands of unmerciful men so that we could experience his mercy and his welcome. That's where humility begins. That's where we begin to be shaped as, as humble servants. It must begin acknowledging and seeing that. Standing at the cross, we are humbled. Because there, the most radical, mighty act of God's hand is seen. And I think that's why Peter would say this way, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. It humbles us. It shows us that we don't deserve any honor. We don't deserve any glory. He alone does. And we get what we do not deserve in his mercy and his grace. And so we learn humility by the embrace of God because of his costly obedience in death. This love, church, this love then compels us to to follow him, to follow his way, the way of Jesus as humble servants. So as I was working through this, this text, I was certainly provoked to ask the question of my own heart, like who, who am I oftentimes repelled by? The, the lowly one that I might, might find it easy to avoid or not serve. Don't know who that would be, maybe in a a neighbor or a workplace, somebody of a certain ethnicity or what the world would say is different status, that Jesus would call you to move towards. Who's that for you today? Or maybe what ladder are you just aimlessly trying to climb up another rung above that really is going nowhere? And Jesus is is saying, come down off those. Don't labor to try to rise above something or someone that is in itself empty. And find yourself satisfied in Christ and what he has done in the gospel for you. Be okay being last for his sake. And another thing that I was mesmerized by as I was doing and preparing this sermon today was... Um, just thinking of so many of you and you cross of grace that this, this church is full of humble servants. I get to hear stories and observe true greatness each week in the way that you humble yourselves and you take a road like our Savior as you serve one another. And it gave me the opportunity to give praise to God, and I see God's grace in you and encourages my heart. So, how do we how do we continue to move in this direction? Well, it is a work of the spirit to walk in true greatness. This doesn't happen by us just activating another sort of self-improvement plan. I'm gonna I'm gonna be more (laughs) humble. I'm gonna be a better servant. No, we need to encounter Christ. We need to encounter him. We need to worship. We need to see who he is. And, and as we do, as we do behold him by his power, we are transformed. He shapes our heart. He gives us power to, to serve others. And that Philippians text that we read just before that, he's, the, the encouragement, the, the command was that we would prefer one another as more significant than myself. I don't have the power to do that In myself, I need something outside of me to come in and change my heart so that we can consider others more important than myself. And that is something He does. Our culture is obsessed with the flashy, with new, with prominence, with likes and follows and self glory. And the gospel comes and shows us it is the path of the cross, it is the path of Jesus. And it probably should be said that we should aspire to do awesome things. Their ambition is a good thing. It's not a bad thing, but our motivations, what drives us in that is what's key. The thing compelling us, and the thing that should compel us is the glory of God and because what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So that he looks glorious. This is how Paul would summarize it in 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Jesus is the hero as we serve. Jesus is the one who gets glory. We We are jars of clay. We are jars of clay. Now link this story to what we just read and we experienced last week. It is the weakness of the disciples the dependency and sufficiency of our hearts upon Jesus that empowers us to love. and to, the, Look at the juxtaposition here. Jars of clay in this treasure, the treasure of Christ. This is what motivates us. Him is our example, and this is what empowers us to move in that way towards one another. And may the Lord keep doing that in us, and forming that in us. Let, us. let us pray to that end. Lord, I thank you for being the, the greatest example of true greatness for us. And you are our master, and we are your servants, and we want to follow you as, you as you did, as you modeled for us. But Lord, we know left to ourself we will not think as others as more significant than ourselves. We will put us at the center of our world every time. We will continue to erect ladders to nowhere. And Lord, thank you for your kindness to come to us so that we could see you. We could behold your cross. We could see that you laid your life down so that you could lift us up. You lost your life, Lord, so that we could find in that gain. And so, Lord, teach us as a people, teach us as your people to be okay being last. That we would clamor to be a a servant of all, not to be the greatest of all. This comes by the work of your spirit. And so, Lord, I thank you for doing that in us, working that in us. And I thank you for, God, the work of grace, cross of grace. I am, I was blown away. I am reminded afresh this week Lord of, of the way that you have worked this grace into the people's hearts in this church the way they move towards one another in serving in building up and caring for and communicating your word to one another and taking meals to one another and being faithful to the task that you've called them to Lord that is, is a work of your grace so thank you for that Thank you for your example, Jesus. Amen. Amen.